Welcome back to Our Soul, a podcast by Faith Choice Ohio, Ohio's faith voice for choice. Abortion presents a profound moral question. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Roe and Casey arrogated that authority. We now overrule those decisions and return that authority to the people and their elected representatives. The judgment of the Fifth Circuit is reversed and the case is remanded for further proceedings consistent with this opinion. It is so ordered. It's the thing that we've been knowing would happen for... I mean, I feel like I I started in Repro in early 2020... And when I started, it was because people were warning me that Roe was going to fall. And I think, at least personally, I have been kind of like, if, if we're talking about the stages of grief, part of me is still like in denial, you know, waiting for the thing to happen because I've been waiting for so long. Uh, but no, it's... Uh, it's here it 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 definitely happened and now in ohio we have the six-week abortion ban and that's really bad just just for context for anyone who has been absolutely living under a rock for the last week and a half or for like our progeny and the people who come long after us who happen to find this hopefully um, in in a United States of America that they don't understand what abortion bans are in the in the not too distant future. Um, we're talking about the decision from the United States Supreme Court that was handed down on the twenty fourth of June. 2022 in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization that absolutely destroyed an illegal on paper right to abortion in the United States. Um, You know, it hands this former federal right back to the whims of local states, the whims of gerrymandered legislatures like our Ohio, you know, House of Representatives and Senate who passed ridiculous laws like this six-week abortion ban in 2019 that ended up going into effect not five hours after this decision was laid out. You know, we, we had people calling us as a part of our network congregations, pastors, friends, colleagues, people from clinics calling us having the problem of we have patients that can't get care and have to find them care. Do you know where we can get transportation? Do you have funds to be able to get them, you know, on a bus or get a driver or get somebody to be with them or do you have contacts and know people in other states? They really need this care now. It happened that fast. And you're you're exactly right, Kelly. Like, we knew this was coming. It didn't make it any better. didn't make it any easier. It is still just otherworldly that after 18,050 days 
of Roe versus Wade being the law of the land, we are now living on day whatever, day five right now of, as we're recording this, um, of not having the legal protections of Roe nationwide. It's, it is a totally different world today because of these, these words from some really cranky old people in robes who are completely disconnected from the vast majority of the American mm-hmm. public. And, and I want to, I want to kind of like talk about, you know, that, that line about like, Oh, we're giving it back to the people. Mm-hmm. What people? Because, you know, in, mm-hmm. in Ohio, I mean, I, it, we, we have such a gerrymandered uh, legislature that, like, my opinion is not, like, well represented represented in my state government. Like, I, they're, a vast majority <laughs> of Ohioans want access to abortion care. But our legislator is extremely unrepresentative of of the people who actually live in Ohio and it's like when I like when when these people who are so disconnected from the life of an everyday person like maybe when they say that they think oh you know people can vote people can have the people that they vote for you know represent it represent them like, do they actually believe that? That's, like, something that I kind of ask myself. When you when you live in such a position of power where you always, when you are able to see your opinion represented in the people that you vote for and who are elected, like, do you just believe that people actually have that right? That people's voices are actually heard? Because it it's unimaginable to me that like my voice would actually be heard on a significant level in Ohio because of how gerrymandered our state is. Exactly. Exactly. Like I, I, I look around and it's like, what elected representatives? I have not had a representative at the state or federal level who cared about the issues in my region because Appalachia gets cracked up and put with larger population centers in Cincinnati, in Columbus, you know, even, you know, parts of Youngstown drip down into these these Appalachian counties in ways that completely dilute our voting power. It completely mangles our cultural values. We don't have anyone to speak for us. People who look like you don't have folk to speak for them, at least not on a broad scale at, you know, the legislature. And it's not just that there is a lopsided misrepresentation of right-wing extremist views in the legislature, but, like, the statement from the Supreme Court that, you know, we overrule these decisions and we return that authority to the people and their elected representatives. Like, no, you did not take this authority to decide from the federal government and give it to the people. You took it from individual people and handed it to state governments that are notoriously corrupt, notoriously incapable of providing basic needs. We, we've we just seen, like, in the last year and a half to two years, we've seen basic infrastructure fall apart in 
multiple states. Friends in Texas, right, lived through a, a blizzard that killed people because their state was negligent in updating their you know, infrastructure. And we in Ohio looked at that and said, oh, isn't that unfortunate? And then we lived through it just a few weeks ago here in this state where because the infrastructure in our state has been so badly maintained and because, you know, oil companies and electric companies and big energy companies have bought our legislature, we ended up having to have massive intentional blackouts that put people's lives at risk, that destroyed people in terms of their financial security, their food security. We're living in a time when these state governments don't know how to manage their way out of a paper bag, and you have taken the rights that used to belong to the individual to make decisions about their body and handed it to these yahoos. You know, we are limited in what we're allowed to say on the radio due to certain levels of what a person should say on the radio given censorship. Um, as as the dean of my school said, these are cursing times, um, but we are going to restrain ourselves. Um, but the, what... That's that's Kelly's way of telling me not to use the F word. <laughs> so, I, and I'm I'm gonna make an effort. I'm gonna yes. Make an effort. Um, and what that reminds me of, though, um, something that like I I think about when it comes to like transformative justice, which we talk about in our trainings and our book clubs and stuff like that, uh, is like who actually is how does like justice work? Like when you talk about like the putative justice system, how does that work? When I, as a person, let's say that somebody steals from me and I report that to the police, at that moment, the crime is no longer a crime against me, really. Like, when they're charging that person with theft, they're, like, going for the state. The state is going to seek damages. I don't get anything specific out of that. I have no say in what happens to that person and that is like this basically if we lived in a world where i could (laughs) i could specifically be like hey you stole something from me i want it back and get that thing back and that could be the end of it now we've taken it from i can have autonomy over how i want this to go forward to now the state has to be involved and that is just dumb. It was dumb that the the government like the government has to be involved at all. Like this should just be a given. Um but it's just uh it's a bad time. Um and uh I I you know you quoted from the opinion um that that ruled on Friday and I I want to to quote a little bit from the dissent if you haven't read the dissent um like I had not before um I would I I would like to let you know that it's not as hard to read as I imagined it would be (laughs) um but anyway so this is like from the the end of the the dissent it says power not reason is the new currency of this court's decision making Roe has stood for 50 years. Casey, a precedent about precedent, specifically confirming Roe, has stood for 30. 
and the doctrine of stare decisis, a critical element and of the rule of law, stands foursquare behind their continued existence. The right of those decisions established and preserved is embedded into our constitutional law, both originating in and leading to other rights protecting bodily integrity, personal autonomy, and family relationships. The abortion right is also or is also embedded in the lives of women, shaping their ex- expectations, influencing their choices about relationships and work, supporting, as all reproductive rights do, their social and economic equality. Since the rights recognition and affirmation, nothing has changed to support what the major- majority does today. Neither law nor facts nor attitudes have provided any new reasons to reach a different result than Roe um, and Casey did. All that changed is this court. And I think it's, you know, when when I think about the, the kind of history uh, my generation has had to live through, it's, it's, it's a whole time. But, like, I have been thinking a lot about the repercussions of Trump. And one of those repercussions is this court. And I can't tell you the amount of times I've talked to people recently and they've brought up, you know, why is it that Supreme Court justices serve life sentences or life sentences, <laughs> life terms? And um, why? <laughs> I mean, I mean, life sentence, life term for these people. It's the same. <laughs> but like, you know, this this kind of like, why is it that we're giving our how we decide rights for everyday people? Why are we giving that to old people in rooms why are we why are we allowing two people who have been accused of sexual like assault or miss uh treatment or whatever decide what kind of rights uh people with uteruses should have over their own bodies like people who have been accused why are we letting people who have lied under oath (laughs) choose whether or not people get rights i don't understand i mean i do understand because it's about power, not reason. Um, but that's kind of just where I'm at and where I've heard other people be. And also just there's I've heard a lot of people just not knowing fully how things are working, you know, not I've I've had I think I've talked about this in the past, but I've had people talk to me about thinking that, you know, oh, that's not something that the court can just take away. That's something that we have to vote on. No, that's not how that works because that's not how our government is set up. And I think we should be fully questioning the way that our government works in such a way that it can undermine the rights of its people. Huh. And I, I think the struggle in this is knowing that exactly what that quote from the dissent said the only thing that's changed is this court Mm -hmm. the court is a political engine in this moment like for for all intents and purposes they have tried to resist that um at least in um they've tried to resist that in public for a long while right they've tried to keep up the pretension that the court is not a political agency but is this like you know um, fair and balanced, you know, to use the, the Fox News catchphrase, right? This fair and balanced um, just institution that is devoid of bias. And we now see that there are manifestly unqualified people on the Supreme Court who are ruling 
on issues that are just wildly out of step with American democracy. The idea that we have we have two credibly accused sexual assault perpetrators in that majority. We have two individuals in that majority who were packed onto the court, stacked onto the court through either the inaction or the hyperactivity of Mitch McConnell, right? Keeping uh, Antonin Scalia's seat open for over a year, more than 400 days, denying Merrick Garland a seat on the court to place Neil Gorsuch there, and then rushing to beat the band to shove Amy Coney Barrett in to Ruth Bader Ginsburg's still warm seat while her body lay at Shiva. Like, uh, you know, it, it just strains credulity that we have these people out of all the people in the United States, these six people are making these decisions for us. And not a one of them know the patients that we have served. Not a one of them know the people who are struggling right now just to come together with the money to be able to make their abortion happen, who now are going to have to face additional barriers, travel additional hundreds of miles out of the state to be able to get care for for hours, days, some of them, uh, you know, to find childcare, to find ways to make up for lost income. None of those six people give a damn about the people who are directly affected in this moment. And those are the people that we deal with every day. Those are the people that our congregations, pro-choice clergy, pro-choice people of faith are coming together for in this moment, as we always have. And I, I, it just breaks my heart that we have six people who are making such bad decisions when I know we have better collections of six people in this country. Like, we, we have more empathetic people. Like, when you think of, it's just six people, right? I have six people probably a thousand times over. I could find you a thousand sets of six people who have more empathy, connection, and wisdom than the people who brought this decision down on all our heads. And this is the this is the United States of America we live in today. I you know, I hate for this to be like just a, a horribly rageful, you know, totally sad uh, podcast, but the fact is it's pretty bleak, right? It's been bleak for a while. We are doing work, obviously. We're going to continue doing work. They're not going to get us down. But dag on to be honest, it's hard to find joy at points, to to find the bright spot. Um, but I guess there there is a bright spot in that we are not in a place where we're having to recreate the wheel right now. You know, um, I have talked about this before, but I I work for Ifan Howe as well. Um, who has the repro legal helpline. Um, and we have had people who, you know, are, are really scared right now and who are calling and, and trying to find out more information. And I am just really glad that I can be a part of supporting that. And as well, like we have not officially, you know, started doing the stuff yet, but 
the fact that the Jubilee Fund exists and that, you know, as a faith-based organization, we can support people in getting access to abortions, even though it's going to have to be out of state and, and we can actually enact like community care, you know, like thinking about those patients who have called because they can't do their appointments in Ohio anymore and thinking about those people who have called and um, have been looking for care for like these people like it's almost like it you know if if I'm gonna find a silver a silver lining in this at all at least there's the beauty of knowing that there are people who are caring for each other and there are people who, despite the odds, are still being able to access bodily autonomy. Um, you know, I am very grateful for the fact that I have been trained and um, can tell other people information that they have every right to know about how a person would um, have a self-managed abortion if they were in that circumstance. Um, <laughs> and... I, you know, if if anything, I am grateful for the fact that there there are systems in place to care for people, despite the fact that the government, which I fully believe should support and care for its people, is throwing those people, you know, out on the street. It's it's very hard to even for me, I'm not like I don't cuss very much um, when it comes to, uh, to stuff like that. You're a better woman I, than I am. I work cause... really hard <laughs> to, you know, somewhat censor myself. Um, but man, these are, these are really hard times. These are cursing times. Um, but I will not do that on the radio. Well, I, I'll tell you, um, yeah, I, I let it out. Cause if I don't, Oh my, it, it, there, there is, we were talking about this earlier today and I think there is a lot of rage right now. I think we all can feel the rage, right? And my whole hope is that we do not allow rage to be the end of, of what we do and how we express ourselves because rage can tear us apart if we just stay there and allow it to remain. Like we, we have to honor the rage. Like I'm not saying ignore your feelings, right? You, if you're not enraged, you're not paying attention and rage can lead us through things like lament and grieving. Rage can lead us to rising, right? It's important, I think, for us not to not to try to rush to make things positive, not to rush to like, oh, we're going to fix everything, not to be like, oh, you know, you just have to get out and vote and everything's going to be fine. Like, it's not. It's it's not. It's going to be not fine for a long, long while. And it was not fine before Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization was decided. And we need the capacity in our culture and our society to be able to grieve the fact that our system of governance is not now what we would have it be. And we need to be able to lament the fact that we have not created the kinds of systems and societies that build people up and honor people's bodily autonomy and respect people's basic 
reproductive rights as articulated by our, our black RJ mothers, right? Like the ability to have children, to not have children, to parent the children we do have in safe and sustainable communities, to respect bodily autonomy. We, we need to be able to lament that the world is not as we would have it be. We have to confess, lament, rage, and grieve our way to a new creation, right? It's part of why we have developed, you know, Jubilee Abortion Fund. Um, the concept of an abortion fund that's faith-based, people keep asking, like, why are you starting an abortion fund, right? Well, you know, local congregations have been doing abortion funding and abortion navigating for years. People, when they need abortion care, often come to faith leaders. They come to faith communities. And these faith leaders and communities have been helping people pay their bills, get their rides, care for their kids, get that kind of community support, and do it in a holistic way that honors whatever their spirituality is or isn't in that moment for decades. So, like, you know, I try to communicate to people the Jubilee Fund for Abortion Justice is about making sure that we are providing that kind of care to everybody, even folk who aren't directly linked to a faith community yet, right? It's administered through faith communities. It's administered for people of all faiths. But it is definitely a faith-based endeavor made possible by the fact that people of faith are willing to take that care to people who desperately need it and want it. Right. So, you know, that that responsiveness, along with all the other stuff we're doing, along with every training that we do, along with every bit of advocacy we do, every letter to the editor that, you know, we're helping people put out there to be able to counter all of this misinformation. It's not extraordinarily, you know, savior oriented stuff. It's not like this is the silver bullet that's going to fix it all. It is the slow, determined work of transformation. And that's what we still have to be about yeah. in this place, even after the 24th yeah. of June. Um, so we're almost out of time. But um, when when you were talking, I thought about um, grieving. One of my favorite books, it's called The Art of Losing by Kevin Young. He has six stages of grief, which are reckoning, regret, remembrance, ritual, recovery, and redemption. And... Um, which I think is a more expansive view of how grieving actually is experienced. But um, I wanted to read um, a, a poem by Kevin Young to kind of end us up today. I think that this kind, kind of has a little bit of hope with what will be the future um, as, we, as we grieve what has happened. The poem's called Redemption Song by Kevin Young, um, and I will read it. Finally fall, at last the mist heat's haze we woke these past weeks with has lifted we find ourselves chill a briskness we hug ourselves in frost graying the ground grief might be easy if there wasn't still such beauty would be far simpler if the silver maple didn't thrust its leaves into flame trusting that spring would find it again all this might be easier if there wasn't a song still lifting us above it, if wind didn't trouble my mind like water, I, ex I half expect to see you fill the autumn air like breath. At night, I sleep on clenched fists, 
days I'm like a child on who on the playground falls crying, not so much from pain as surprise. I'm tired of tide taking you away and then back again. What's worse, the forgetting or the thing you can't forget? Neither yet. Last summer's choir of crickets grown quiet. In these days, I try to remind myself that, you know, there are still beautiful things. Of the, of the nine, there were at least still three who were completely against what was happening. And there are still people who are, are fighting to provide community care and to, to see the beauty of the world. So uh, with that, uh, we will be back in a couple weeks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Our Soul. If you'd like to hear more of our conversations on religion, abortion access, and all things Repro, you can find all our episodes on Podbean, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. For more content, training, and other information, check us out at faithchoiceohio.org.